Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, Truth Seekers, and Truth Crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership funk and soul saxophonist and singer Sir Waldo Weathers, best known for his 15 years as a member of James Brown's band from 1993 to 2008. Other artists he has worked with include Charlie Pride, Johnny Taylor, and Phil Collins. He's also recorded and performed under his own name, as well as leading groups uh, called the Funk Circus and the Classic Soul Orchestra. He currently heads up the James Brown band that also features longtime godfather of soul bass player Fred Thomas, singer Cynthia Moore, and trumpet player Holly Ferris. And uh, we also have uh, Cynthia and Holly with us today. So greetings, everybody. Thank you for joining the show. Thank, da, you. Da, da. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Cynthia. I didn't know you were here. <clears throat> Finally. <laughs> yeah, well, so we overcame some technical hurdles, but, you know, uh, we're here and we're here to uh, talk about the funk and music and uh, I gave some background on, on, on Waldo. Uh, Cynthia, do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Uh, well, I'm, I, I reside here in Buffalo, New York. I've uh, been here basically all my life. Um, been singing since I was a baby. I mean, literally a baby. Started out in the church and, uh, you know, got my, my back, my, my gospel roots and things like that from church and 
I don't know. I've been like professionally singing for like I'd say over fifty years now. I, I hate to say that, but it has been over. That's sad, but it's happy <laughs> for about over fifty years now. I'm I'm proud of that. I shouldn't say sad. I'm proud of, of that. You know. Yeah, yeah. You are all woman. <laughs> <clears throat> that's all right, but hey, <laughs> that's for another show. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, so, so good to have you. We'll get more into some I of those thank details. You. I thank um, you so much. You know, Holly, what about a little bit on yourself? Uh, well, uh, went to school and graduated from college with a degree in music to teach. And then I decided I didn't want to teach, so I joined a band, moved to Nashville. And while that band was on tour, James Brown heard the band and hired me. That was in 1975. And uh, yeah, rest is history, so they say. Yeah, we're gonna get into that history. Been looking forward to it for sure. <laughs> Where's everybody at today? I think you already told me, but so that viewers know, uh, we've got uh, Cynthia. You're in Buffalo, right? Yes, Buffalo, New York. And that's where you hail from, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Holly, you're from uh, in Na in Nashville, right? Nashville, Tennessee. Yes, sir. Yes, and is sir. that also where you're from originally? Uh, originally from Missouri, but uh, yeah, I moved to Nashville in 1973. So yeah, so I consider myself a Nashvillian or Johnny Cashville, Johnny Cashvillian. Music City, yeah. <laughs> and then from across the pond, we have uh, Waldo. Uh, you're uh, tell the folks where you are today. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I live in Stuttgart, Germany. Cynthia, let's jump in with you. You know, uh, yeah. how did you first get into uh, music and singing, and uh, who were some of your, you know, heroes? Uh, uh as I said earlier, I, I started in church. You know, a lot of gospel singers that I used to listen to. My mom used to have them on the radio, getting ready for church on Sunday mornings, because my mother was she sung in the choir. So, I she she initiated me to go in the junior choir. So after she you know, got tired of singing. She just sent me on to church to sing over here and there, over there. So after a while, she kind of stepped back out of it and then kept me going at it. And I just constantly went everywhere that our church went with different, you know, shows in different cities and things of that nature. And then as I got older, I sung with the band, the Unity Band, which is a band here in Buffalo, New York, who's still playing at this time. I originated with them back in, oh, it must be 79, 80, late 70s, I'll put it that way. Uh, as I was singing with them, we did a lot of back. We did a little, a lot of James Brown music, and uh, I was a background singer for one of the gentlemen who used to do the James Brown segment of the show. Uh, and um, at one time, Mr. Brown's former uh, guitarist, Mr. Ron Laster, was there in our group. And at the time, going back to like nine, now I'm coming up to 91, 90, 91, Mr. Brown was incarcerated at that time. Uh, Mr. Lasser was playing with my group, again, the Unity Band, and uh, I happened to see his mother at the beauty shop. We were both getting our hair done at the same time, and I heard her saying that he was getting ready to go back to the group because Mr. Brown was getting the group back together so that they could um, go back out and restart you know, his career after being uh, uh, gone away for that, like you said, a long, unwanted vacation that he had, as he used to say. And uh, I said, your son, he used to play in my band. She said, oh, really? I said, I hadn't heard from him in a while tell him to give me a call. So she told him that I, I talked with her in the, in, the, in the beauty shop. 
we talked, me and Mr. Laster, and he told me to come down and audition. And I drove 16 and a half hours, not knowing whether I was going to uh, be a part of the group or not. And at that time, uh, another vocalist that is part of the Bittersweet uh, group with Mr. Brown, named Lisa Russian, was one of my background singers. So me and her both went together, because we're both from Buffalo. And we drove down to audition for Mr. Brown. He didn't know we were coming. We didn't know if we were going to even meet him. You know, I'd submitted tapes and he'd always say, you know, to Mr. Laster, okay, I got the tape. I hear, but I don't see it. You know, <laughs> I, she's not here, you know, and he happened to be getting ready to leave to go to LA to audition young female vocalists to put a group together. And we just happened to get down there before he did that. And we uh, both auditioned, myself and Miss Rushton. And uh, he said, where are you guys from? We told him, Buffalo, New York. He said, oh, you're the young lady that was on the tape. I said, yes, sir. So he asked me to sing a song. I sung Home by Stephanie Mills. He asked Miss Rushton to sing something. She sung Vision of Love by um, Mariah Carey. And uh, he said, you girls sound pretty good. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, I sound like that. Yeah, he said, but where you say you were from? I guess Buffalo. He said, yeah, that's what I thought you said, Buffalo. He said, how'd you get here? He said, we drove. You drove? He said, yeah, we drove. You drove all the way down here? I said, yes, sir. Yes, we did. He said, that's 16 hours. I said, no, 16 and a half. <laughs> and the rest kind of like was history because he asked us if we had passports. And, uh, you know, he said, if you don't, you better get them yesterday. So he hired us. And wow. that was that was in '91 to present. So still with the group. You know, when I uh, think of, of Buffalo, I, I immediately think of you know Rick James, Stone City Band. Did you ever yeah. uh, cross paths or meet any of those guys? Many times. Some of the musicians are still here in the city. Um, and they do. Uh, they have a funk fest every year here in Buffalo in remembrance of Mr. James, and um, also some of the band members. I played with some of them as well. When I won the Buffalo Hall of Fame, a couple of them played for my um in my in my songs in the introduction. When they um they give you the gift, uh, prior to that they actually to do like three songs, and they played for me when I when I was uh, nominated that year, and I I thought you know pretty highly of them to do that for me, and they were happy to do it, and I was happy to have them. So <laughs> yeah, you got, you got you got a little bit of that James and James connection, James Brown and Rick James. Yes, yes. I do. <laughs> well, thanks for I that. Uh, yes, Holly, Holly, what about you? What were, you know, who were some of your, uh, you know, what, what inspired you? Who are some of your heroes with the instrument? Well, I got inspired by my band director in, in grade school to play trumpet. And um, I thought it'd be easy because it only had three buttons, but <laughs> big mistake. And uh, well, I got I got good enough to get a scholarship to go to college, and That's which good. I did. And um, then after that, I taught school for a year, and then I was drafted in the U.S. Army during the height of the Vietnam War. But luckily, I didn't have to go. And then after that, I came back to school and got my master's on the GI Bill. And then in the meantime, we formed a band in college, and uh, we were playing weekend. We were the busiest band around there. And uh, after I graduated, it was just a perfect timing that everybody in the band was sick of being around where we were, which was Missouri and Arkansas. And we decided to move to Nashville and become famous. So, 
<laughs> we did that part of it, but we didn't become famous. <laughs> we did move to Nashville and became a show band, and that's when James heard, a, heard our band and hired me. And then later I got our keyboard player and sax player out of, out of the band. So all of a sudden there's three white guys in an all-black band. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how that went. And then after James got, went to prison, I, I played with, I toured with Steve Winwood. And then uh, after Brown passed, uh, I was hired by Josh Stone. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the other horn players was hired. By, she had done a few few things with Brown, and she mm -hmm. she loved Brown. He loved her, so she thought it'd be great to have a couple of his horn players with her, which is what we did. Thank you. Waldo, welcome back. You know, uh, before you dashed off, I was going to say, you know, I'm pretty sure that you're the only sir that has appeared on Truth and Rhythm. <laughs> and uh, before we get into more of your musical background, I'm just uh, curious, you know, how did you uh, attain that title? I'm curious about how I've done a lot of shit, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I was playing a gig and a my mine Braxton, Germany, at a castle uh, for the Duke of Mine Braxton. And uh, as I'm doing the show, uh, I look out into the field. There's like about eight horse horseback riders in in total knight uniforms and the duke is riding in front of them and they come right up the middle of the stage and then he comes the duke comes on stage and they bring a red uh, red big red pillow and ask me to get on my knees and of course you know when you uh do something like that with a black man. You thought you were going to be beheaded? And, and bro, I'll tell you, I, you know, you might as well say, damn, they just peed on myself. <laughs> but, 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 uh, you know, they, he, he said some words to the audience and blah, blah, blah. And then he knighted me. And, uh, of course, you know, they, they it, it's kind of like, like this, that, not only the queen can knight you, but in times of war and so forth, the duke and other people could also knight you. And being that Germany does have royalty, it was still considered being a real, uh, a real knighting. Of course, oh, that's debatable. I don't know, but but that's how the story goes. And the crazy part about it is that somebody had my video camera recording everything and there was other video cameras and this happened 20 years ago or longer than that and until this day i have never seen anyone with anything of that show it really and my and my video camera broke my video camera broke. Oh wow! So, so up, up, up until till now, 
I've never seen anything about the knighting. And uh, actually about six months ago, we, we have a restaurant here in Stuttgart. And it was on one of the days that I was off, the Duke's daughter came to our restaurant looking for me and I wasn't there. And uh, our uh, uh, employee, of course, didn't get her number or anything. She didn't leave it. So then, uh, you know, hopefully she'll come around again and, you know, we can meet and talk or she was pretty sure a little baby during that time. So there's no proof of this at all. There's no absolute <laughs> proof at all. It's really crazy. Really did, crazy. Did, did either of you know Waldo before he was knighted? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Uh, did 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 that change him oh. at all? Well, Not so really. It went to his head. Yes, absolutely. It, it just, it just, you know, no. it just got a, a couple of inches bigger. That's about it. <laughs> other than that. Yeah, nothing else got bigger anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, if you're watching or listening to this and you were at the show or have any knowledge of video, bring it forward. Um, bring it. Yeah. In, so in mine, Braxton, Germany. Yeah. So then, Thank Waldo, much. Uh, musically speaking, uh, what what drew you to saxophone, and who are some of your your heroes and inspirations coming up? Well. I actually started off on piano. Uh, my mother and father were uh, my 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 mother was the 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 pianist in church. My father was the jazz organist, and so I automatically just took to piano, and then I moved from piano to drums from drums to bass fiddle. And bass fiddle was a little awkward walking back and forth to and from school. <laughs> uh, so so that didn't last a long time. You know, I still managed to learn how to play it. And uh, uh, then clarinet. And then finally, Mama bought me a saxophone. And then uh, around the age of 12, somebody knocked on my door and said that they heard about me playing sax and wanted me to join their band. And uh, it was like, Mama said, okay. The guy said, I'll take care of him every, and, and everything. And uh, he owned a barbershop down in the West End. So he took me, and that was it. I started playing, playing R and B and soul, and and the little uh, bars across the track, and the gun shooting and everything, and a lot of stories about that. But that's for another show. Well, who are some of your favorite saxophone players? Uh. My 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 absolute favorite, my favorite, and but I don't try to to mimic him is, is 
I'm going to say Gerald, Gerald Albright. And then comes David Sanborn. And then, of course, Maceo. Uh, but I, you know, I kind of still just drift off into doing my own thing. I don't really try to mimic, you know, anybody except Holly. But, uh, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's it. I just kind of try to stay in my own lane and do what I do. But I'm not a, I'm not a jazz player. Uh, I'm more of a, what I call myself a, a melody player. You know, I play melodies. I play around with melodies. You know, I'm a sax player that sings on the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, a lot of my favorite players, you know, talk about their singing voice basically coming through their horn, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I want to ask everybody, but I'll start with Holly. Um, you know, how did you first meet James Brown and what was your first impression? Well, when I played with bands during college and whatnot, we always did James Brown songs. So he was like a hero of mine. And uh, it was just unfathomable that I could ever meet him. But he came in the bar where we were playing, that band I was talking about that moved to Nashville. And uh, he heard the band and hired me on the spot. And I was like, you got to be kidding. And it just so happened that it was the band. We'd, the band had been together four years, and it was our last week together. We were breaking up. So when he came in and hired me, I was like just uh, over the moon over that. Couldn't believe it. It's like, it's, it's and how like, how many years was that? How many years? What has yeah. it been? The Brown. Twenty three years I was with him. Yeah. So that was nineteen seventy five when he hired me. Oh. Yeah. Well, did you do any studio work or just uh, performance? Oh yeah, we did some studio work. First album we cut was uh, "Get Up Off That Thing," and that was qu quite <laughs> quite different because I I'd been used to like most sessions you go in you put a rhythm track down and then you put horns on top of that and then you put the vocals on you know you stack stuff and you uh, that's how you do it but him we were just all gathered around a mic and he counted it off and there we off to the races and we're like what this can't be <laughs> what the funny, the, the funny thing was that, that uh, get up off that thing was the song and he was teaching it to us and we were just kind of fiddling around in there messing around trying to learn some horn parts and figure out some stuff and uh we caught the got the groove going for a little second there, and then he's all of a sudden he says, "Roll the tape." And we said, "What well, mean roll the tape? We hadn't even played the song yet." And he counted it off, screamed, and all the needles on the board pegged, and uh, <laughs> we cut it first take, first and only take. That was it. <laughs> yes, he's a master of first takes. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, who, who was uh, the uh, primary uh, horn arranger at that time? Uh, I guess I was. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we just kind of did everything by ear. We didn't we didn't normally write out parts, but uh, sometimes I did. But mostly it was just head charts. Just make who, up something. Who, who was in the section then? PJ, Joe Poff, Sinclair, and me. And Russell Crime. 
I think there was two trumpets, three saxes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Did you know uh, all the repertoire going in, or did you have to learn some of it after well, I had he learned hired some you? of it because his repertoire was like into the hundreds of songs, hundreds, literally. And to this day, I still hear a song, a song of his that I never never heard before. I'm like, Me too. What? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a really huge, incredible. vast, vast repertoire, but yeah. But you know what gets me? You know what gets me is that if you look at his albums, he'll have a different album with the same songs. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe and maybe one or two different songs, but at the same time, like Holly said, every now and again you'll hear a song by him that you never heard before, and you don't even know what damn album it's on if it's on an album at all, right. and mm-hmm. it, it, they just come up. But it's That's incredible right. how how many albums he has sold. With the same songs in different order, right? Well, you know, or, he cut, or, or revised, you know. Yeah, right. Revised. He might, he might, might have the same title, but it's it's it's, it's been cut four different times. Yeah, Sound, like what they said. I, 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 feel good. I feel good. I feel good. Three different versions. I feel good. Three. Three. I thought yeah. some somebody said it was eight different versions. Of well, I feel good. Completely different feels is what I'm talking about. One of them was a, a shuffle. And one of them was like a big band. T- 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 yeah, t- t- yeah, like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he really messed with that one, but he, he got the right one. He put out the right one. Yeah. yeah. It's quite quite a uh, complex discography for sure. Uh, were you uh, also there, uh, Holly, uh, you know, for Body Heat? And that, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh tracks from that period. That period of time we used to go in the studio at least once a year and cut an album. An entire album in two days. I'm talking finished. Cut all the wow. tracks, mixed it, everything, finished. Because that I think at the time he was getting like fifty thousand dollars an album from Polydor. He'd say, "I need some money. Let's go and cut an album." <laughs> cut an album in two days, and there's fifty grand in his yeah. pocket. But yeah, he came wow. up with some good stuff, though. He did. Yeah. It wasn't trash. Did Did he ever, uh, you know, uh, grunt out or try to indicate, you know, for you to play a certain way or or hit a certain? All the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah kinda... Those weren't grunts. Those were notes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. there were actually were notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, and nobody, <laughs> nobody understood what the hell he was saying. But we, we, we played it, it. Well, we understood we, it later. We, we tried it, and we don't know if we're right or not. But if you said yeah, <clears> okay. <throat> if not, he'll. <laughs> Funny, funny cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had Mar- Martha High was on recently. I don't know if you guys saw that show, uh, and Ooh. I don't know if you got a chance to work with her at all. But oh, yeah. uh, yeah, it was oh, yes, really, really definitely. funny hearing her Im- impersonate. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody know Miss High. Yes, I, I, 
Uh, I got some stories about her, but I don't think they're they're suitable for television. Anyway, Not appropriate. Well, all right, Waldo. So, uh, tell us when you first met James Brown. How how did you come to meet him, and what was your first impression? You know what? When I first met him, I was home in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was working as a dishwasher, busboy, and everything else that threw me on at Albert Pick Hotel. I, uh, I, I can't really recall the year. I guess it was somewhere around 60, between 66 and 68, I guess. And James Brown was staying at that hotel. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't know it. So somebody called for some room service. And then I took the food over to the room. And he opened the door. And it was like, go ahead. How about you? Okay. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> and that, you know, that was the first time. And it was like I, you know, walked out of the room. You know, he had, a, you know, a lot of the band was also in, 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 in was like my my mouth just kind of hung hung open for the rest of the day. And then I I I guess it was that time. I'm not really sure. I went to see him play. It might have been the same night. I don't really remember when it was, but. Uh, when I went to the show, all I remember is that that Bootsy was playing bass. I don't re really know what year that was. Holly, do you? By 69. So, anyway, uh, one of the horn players, and I don't know what horn player was, but they knew that I played baritone. And they approached me about taking a gig playing baritone. And it's like, uh, and he, he kind of gave me the info and everything. And I basically said no, because, okay, like in 69, yeah, okay, 69, that makes sense. 69. I was playing with a local group there in Louisville and I was making more money than the cats in the James Brown band were. Why should I go travel with with this guy and make less money than what I'm making? So I told him no. I told him no. And uh but then there's there's life's life circles that if it's meant to be, it's going to be one way or the one way or the other, whether you like it or not. You know, God's going to put you where you're supposed to be uh, soon, sooner or later. So it happened. Uh, sweet, sweet Charles came up to a gig. I was playing a, a New Year's Eve gig, and he came up and said, and you know, you know, I just always have to say, "Hey, man, give me a gig." And he, and he looked back and said, 
you know, me and Brown was talking about a prayer tone, prayer dropping bass. I, I talked to him. And so we went ahead and done a gig probably about six months later, because it was in the summertime. Six months later, he came to another gig I was playing right at the last note and walked up to the stage. He said, hey, remember that gig we were talking about? I said, yeah. He said, you got it. He said, here's the number, call the office in the morning. <laughs> and it was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I got the gig and that Brown hasn't even heard, heard me. And so, but uh, I called the office, the office, you know, gives me uh, the information uh, and they send me a ticket to come to Augusta. I go, uh, what do we have rehearsal at, at the Princess Hotel? I mean, the Princess Theater. And uh, I play with with the section because you know for whatever reason they all have some charts out on on some songs they were doing and of course I cannot read so but I knew the song I knew of the song and so I just played what I thought fitted and Brian said eh, it can't it can't play don't need it. Don't even need a chart. He knows the song. Y'all got chart. Still don't know the song. Mr. Weather, welcome. <laughs> it was so funny. Welcome to the valley. And I, I, I think that when we went to Australia for seven weeks, and that, that you know, that was really crazy, really crazy. So you know, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> wow. I wanted to ask you, um, yes. you know, could you share with us uh, one or two of your most unforgettable experiences uh, performing and working with James Brown? Hmm. Ooh, all of them. Got a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just. I'm... I'm telling you, every every show is an adventure almost. It's close, so close. Because no show is ever the same. Each one of them are different. They're all different. We never play the same thing twice. Never. Uh, we never do it the same way all the time. It's always different. It's always a change of some kind. Sometimes we, we do things and he be looking at us like, eh, okay, you know. And sometimes we we, we have rehearsed certain things and we do them, and he might have forgotten about it. And he said, okay, I'm sorry. It's on me. It's on me. It's on me, you know. Um, one that we did, I'm trying to think. I don't, I, you know, it's hard for me to even answer that question. It really is because, I mean, I remember we played, uh, let's see, we were at Wembley. We played with the, um, then we, we played at, um, I'm trying to think, what's that? We were with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Was that at Wembley? Or was that at, um, it was in England. <clears throat> I know that much. It was over in England. Yes. And, I, and I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that because, and then we did Bonnaroo. Oh, yeah. We also did, uh, I'm trying to think of some nice ones. We went, when we, and it was awesome when we did Woodstock. I really liked that one. We did okay. Woodstock. 
I got a story that was really, really nice. I like that. Yeah. And I mean, then then Ronald Lasta came out and he did the Jimi Hendrix um, thing where you start off singing, um, oh, say, I mean, playing, oh, say, can you see? And then he just went all into, ah, they just went bananas. I mean, it was like, ooh, beautiful. Um, we played at a castle one time. <laughs> uh, and um, I, it's just, it's just so many different things. Yes. On the boat from from the from the. We trip. played on a yacht. We and then yeah. the boat. They had separate boats, and only like three or four people could get on these speed boats to go to the big boat. That was in uh, Monte Carlo. Was that not in Monte Carlo? Yeah, I think it was Monte Carlo. It was in Monte Carlo. Beautiful. Okay. We played with some places that's like mm, unbelievable. I mean, it's I, I can't really name. It's just a. It's a lot of them. It's just you know. And then the people who come out to see him on his stage as well. You had Huey Lewis in the news. You had you had Gun. Puff Daddy. You had you had you had even stars that come out. Uh, uh, shoot, Rick, Rick James. Uh, oh yeah, when we did pay per view, he came out on the stage and just took one of the bases and started playing. And Mr. Brown said, "Get him off!" because he was all out of key, out of key. How is it? How is it? Out of key. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he said. The one at the House of Blues, at the yes. House of Blues in oh my LA. Goodness. Yep, that's another one. We recorded that. We have that on tape. You can you can purchase that one. Madison Square Garden. We would play with the Black Eyed Peas. We did the song. Uh, um, it's <laughs> well, Cynthia. What was what was your favorite one or two songs to perform yourself? Myself, when I did Georgia with him or when he sung If I Rule the World, he would never let you sing but maybe a sentence. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can't take that shine from the boss, but it was, it was beautiful all the time. I've, I've always liked those two songs because I got a chance. To and then Nighttime is the Right Time by Ray Charles. Oh, that yeah, was that a was, highlight. That was a that good was, highlight. There's more song that. She sung yeah. that song. You know, and then sometimes, sometimes I would grab him around the waist and wiggle him and like pick him up. He said, Let me down, let me down. It was just part of the No, 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 ma'am, no, ma'am. What year again did you first work with him, Cynthia? I started in 91, early 91, right after he came out of incarceration, right after that. So, until until two two until two thousand six and his passing, but still with the band. Was he never left? Was he still uh, uh, strict and looking to find people and stuff like that after he came out of uh, prison, or was he? Oh, definitely, yes. Oh, he would yeah. take our fines, and we would have Christmas parties with him. <laughs> All the fines at the end of the year, the Christmas party, he paid for it. <laughs> paid for it. Paid for part of it. Mm -hmm. Our annual Christmas parties, you'll pay for part of that party. Uh, you, well, Holly, you, you worked with him before and after, right? Yes, sir. So yeah. any changes that you noticed in just the way he conducted business uh, before or after? Not really. He was the same guy. And there was mm -hmm. no, you know, no difference. He was as strict as, as he always was. And, um, yeah, yeah, he was all about business. That was his thing. So he he wanted it right, his music right, and if he wasn't, then he'd let you know about it. 
And uh, occasionally he would find you. He'd flash the fives, 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. 25, 30. I remember Ron Laster was on stage one night, and uh, he was looking at some girl out in the audience, and James started flashing him. He flashed him for about five minutes. Ended up like 300-something bucks. Ron <laughs> never looked at him. You had to look at You had to keep your eyes on him at all times. You didn't know what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'll throw it at you, Holly. Is there one or two um, shows that just stand out for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, like the largest crowd, whether James did something that he didn't do on other shows, uh, whether, I don't know, you had your family there, whatever it might be. Well, we played on the Grand Ole Opry. That was pretty unique. I had my family there for that. And uh, James was happy to meet little Jimmy Dickens, who was his his heroes. Little Jimmy Dickens. James knew all his songs. Yeah, but one one of the most memorable concerts we ever did was in uh, Modena, Italy, when James sang with Pavarotti. Yes, the symphony orchestra, and and in Georgia, remember he jumped in the pool. Yeah, I was going to go there next. Okay, okay, gotcha. Anyway, he, him, and Pavarotti sang "Man's World." They swapped off. Pavarotti was singing it in Italian. James was singing it in English. And it was so good, I started crying. I couldn't help myself. And I've never done that before, mm-hmm. ever. But mm-hmm. it was so emotional and so perfect. It was just mm. mind-blowing. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. Wow. Do you know approximately what year that was? Mm. Was that, wasn't that in 2005? Could have been, yeah. Because right before Mr. Brown passed. No, yeah. no, no. Way no. before that. Was it way before that? I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, not him, but I'm talking Mr. Pavarotti. Shortly after that, he did that and passed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Wait wait a minute. Pavarotti's mother had passed the day of the the concert. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. His mother passed the day of the concert, if I uh, remember correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Show wow. on. Maybe that's I why was, that. everybody was so emotional. That was a beautiful concert, though. Yeah, you can you can look it up on YouTube. It's there. Trust me, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. Orchestrated the violins, everything. It's beautiful. About a hundred strings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yes. And everybody that Sting, Grace Jones. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. What about Michael Jackson? Was he ever any, any of the shows that you guys were part of? Yeah. The oh, yeah. BET, the BET Awards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. They were giving Came Mr. Achievement, Lifetime Achievement Award with BET. Yeah. And uh, he surprised him and threw a cape on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Waldo, you were talking about some incident with a pool or something. What What's a, a the, show or, a, a what, or two that what, stands up for you? What Cynthia was talking about in, in Georgia, country. the country Georgia, what we, we did the uh, the last song of Sex Machine, mm-hmm. because you know every, everybody knew that James Brown couldn't swim, and where the stage was is like an Olympic sized pool, and the stage was on one side of the pool. And the audience was on the other side. It was so crazy. We were so far from the people. But it was a great show. 
And before the song ended, all we know is that James Brown, shoes, clothes, and everything jumped in the pool. He jumped in the pool, and the backup dancers, the two girls, they was like Navy SEALs. They jumped in right after him. <laughs> and then and then I turned around and then I think Holly, Holly jumped in. One of the mm -hmm. drummers jumped in. Some, some of the singers jumped in. Some of the guitar, the guitar players right. put that shit down and jumped in the pool. And everybody that jumped in the pool got a $200 bonus. Cause that and, left me that left me out because I can't swim and I wasn't getting in that. Me too. He said, <laughs> me too. He said, Miss Mud, why did you come in the pool and say that? I could mess up my hair, Mr. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it was enough people in there, you know. I'll never I'll never forget that. Then then uh, was it Cher Cheryl well one of the singers, Sherry. Sherry she, and, and, and Heather. No, it was uh, what is Dara? Dara was the one that went in there and got him. Dara, Dara went in there, went up under, they were they was in there like Navy SEALs. they got in there and got him because he was going, he was he was sinking, he couldn't get up because the the water filled up his boots and was holding him down. He had on cowboy boots in the deep part, in the deep part of the wall. You know, that's what drugs get you, son. You go in the deep part of the wall. Hey, no, you can't swim. <clears throat> and the audience, went, so the audience went bananas. They went crazy. They went crazy. They went crazy. That was it. It was crazy. Yeah. That was it. I see you but can't I, swim, you know. I mean, working up so much sweat when performing, you should be used to all that water. <laughs> not that yeah, much. <laughs> not that much. <laughs> yeah, boy. That was, that was my big remembrance. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.